Well, good morning. How many of you glad to be here this morning? Good. Good to see you here. So excited about uh, just the opportunity we have each week to worship together as a faith family, and it's good to see you as always. Uh, I love to I love to, to be with you and, and to just worship with you on Sunday morning. It's one of the highlights of my week, and, and uh, I tell you, this morning has been a very worshipful time, and, and uh, it's just good to see you. Today, we're wrapping up a, a series that we've been walking through for the last four weeks called Absolute Sovereignty, and uh, one of the things you may notice is that we haven't finished Romans chapter 9, and that's true. Uh, when we were doing the, uh, when we were outlining the, 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 uh, the series and, and looking at Romans chapter 9, uh, we, we just sort of realized that, that the last part of 9 went more with what is in 10. And so that's what we decided to do, just sort of shift that last part of chapter 9 into 10. And I'm not sure exactly when we're going to get back there, but when we do, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. And so it'll be a good time for us uh, then as well. You know, I want to tell you about what's coming up in the way of sermon series because I think it's real important. You know, next week, we are um, going to be having a Compassion Experience Weekend. And what that means for us as a church is that Compassion International, one of our partners in ministry, is going to be here, and they are going to be bringing a, uh, a tour bus or a tour trailer with them, and they're going to be setting up. I, I guess the, the best way to describe it is, is, a, is, is sort of a, a walkthrough display thing to where we can get, gain a lot of perspective and understanding about how we are ministering to children in third world countries. And so that's our plan. And we've been asking for, for you and for others to uh, register online. I, I'm telling you, it is a remarkable tour. I've been through it twice in Jacksonville myself. And, uh, and, and so when they asked me if they could come and be a part of our church, I, I, I thought, man, this is a great idea. But let me just give you something that's just worthy of celebration. I'm very excited about this. Uh, we have had online registration only, so you can go to our website and you can click there. You can go to Compassion International and find it there as well. But as of to date, or as of uh, this past Friday, we have had 2,719 people register to walk through that tour. And that's incredible. Uh, I think it's incredible for two reasons. One is, is that a, a lot of people are going to gain an understanding and perspective of how they can uh, minister to children all over the world, how they can be a part of a, a wonderful ministry. And then two, uh, we also, as, as we look at the nearly 3,000 people coming through this tour from our city, and many of them are you, I'm, I'm sure of that, but, uh, but as people come throughout uh, and do this tour, we'll have an opportunity for them to see that we care about children and orphans of the world, that we care about uh, the missional responsibility that we have to, to uh, the ends of the earth. And, and I think we'll have the opportunity to share our passion to do ministry in this city and, and the ends of the earth. And so I'm very excited about the conversations that are going to take place out there in the parking lot over those four days that they're here. So if you haven't signed up, uh, there's still room. There's still, they, can, they can accommodate a lot of people. And so I want to encourage you, to go ahead and register. You do not have to have a reservation, um, but if you have a reservation, your spot is, is very guaranteed for getting in and out during, and, and doing the tour uh, at, a, at a timely manner. If you just want to show up, uh, you may have to wait a little bit. But anyway, I want to encourage you all to go through that. That's going to be a, an incredible time. We'll be preaching on that next week as well. Um, but after that, all that, we're going to have a series that's going to be kicking off called Stronger.
And it's looking at God's plan for marriage and family. And I'm very excited about this as well. We've got a lot of events planned during that series, and uh, we'll be talking more about those as we, as we launch that series and, and even before. So uh, listen out for the, uh, the ways you can register for different events that we have going on throughout that series. But I'm, I'm excited about what God's going to do in that series as well. But um, today, let's pray, and let's uh, just ask God to, to, to bless our, our time here together and open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to hearing from Him. And then we're going to dive into God's Word. So pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you, God, for your presence in this place. We were singing about that earlier, God, and just the reality that without it, God, our life is meaningless, without purpose. God, I pray that, God, you would uh, bless us at this time as we gather in this room together as a faith family, corporately worshiping you in spirit and truth. I pray, Father, that you would bless this time with, with your presence in our life. And God, may we, may we recognize your presence is with us and it's real and it's meaningful. And God, we thank you for this time where we can where we can worship together in the reading and the preaching of your word. Father, we know that we have already done that through song and praise and adoration to a holy and righteous God. We've, we've worshiped you through our giving. But God, now we turn to your word and we, we pray, Father, that this would be a time where we continue to just lift up your name, God, that this would be a time where we continue to just adore you. Because God, you and you alone are worthy of our worship. And Father, today we want to continue to just worship you through the reading and preaching of your word. I pray, Father, that you would hide me behind the cross. And God, that today the, the things that we learn, Lord, would be a result of you working in our hearts here today. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think one of the, the greatest... And most humbling privileges or honors that I have is, is preaching to our faith family. You know, it, it's one of those things I don't take lightly. It's one of those things, though, that I'm very thankful for. Not just the opportunity to stand up here and, 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 and just speak to you, but, but, but I'm, I'm thankful that God has called me into ministry and that through the calling that he has called me, that he has given me this this great privilege to stand before you and to preach his word and to, to, to study God's word but even beforehand and to know that, that there's a divine message here for each and every one of us and that whatever it is that we are studying through the reading and the preaching of his word, that, that it has great meaning and purpose for our life. I'm thankful for that. But you know, preaching each Sunday comes with with a great challenge. And I don't mean the, the time and effort that is needed in studying and, and praying and thinking through the sermon series. I don't mean the, the time that is necessary to put all the series together and, the, and, and, and put the sermons together. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the reality that each and every week when I stand up here, there is this reality that I am standing before people who are oftentimes struggling through life. I know that the reality of me being up here is that I have this opportunity to preach the truth of God's word, but I also know that I stand before people who maybe this week have lost their children or a loved one. 
I know that as I stand here and preach, that, that as I preach, there are those who are struggling with with, with an unclear understanding of what their future looks like, or maybe they're, they're, they're sort of struggling with, the, with job security or, or coming to a place where they realize that their health is at stake. I realize that as I stand here and I preach, I'm preaching oftentimes to people who are living lives lonely and, and people who are living lives with such great uncertainty that there's a sense of hopelessness in their life. I understand that. And so what I'm trying to say here this morning as we prepare to dive into God's Word is that I understand the context of life. I've lived long enough to where I've probably been through a lot of the things that many of you have been through. I've lived long enough to to really see a lot of things happen in the world. And, And not to say that I understand it, but that I've seen it. I've seen what people go through and I understand the hardships of life. And as I As I do that, I I tell you, one of the greatest challenges is sometimes coming up here and celebrating the truth of God's Word, knowing that many people are hurting. But then I look at the purpose of God's Word, and I understand the, the reality of why He's called me to be here, is to not to just come and to offer a message of encouragement, but to come and to offer to us all, including myself, the truth of God's word, that God would use that to impact our lives and to ultimately lift us up and to give us a, get us to a place where we can rely on him and get us to a place where we can completely trust in him because he is God and we are not. You know, the reality is there's, there's just so much at stake. And because there's so much at stake, I, I don't want to stand here each week and entertain. I don't want to stand here each week and, and, and bring a message that is filled with my opinion or positive thinking. Because there is so much at stake, the reality is that we must turn to the truth of God's Word. Because it is in the, the truth of God's Word that we find life and that we find we find purpose and that we find an understanding, a clear understanding of exactly who God is. One of the reasons I believe that we must never back down from truth or even the teaching of God's absolute sovereignty is that I believe that this doctrine is life-giving and it is faith-sustaining. It's important. And I believe that as I read through the passages that Paul is writing in Romans chapter 9, that one of the things that I recognize over and over and over is that he believed that too. Paul once said, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? You know, he he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because he, he knew it to be the power of God unto salvation. And so the reality is the apostle Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. But what I see in that statement is a reality that he will not back down from it either. That he stands firmly on the gospel message of Christ because 
even in the midst of seeing the people who he ministers to dealing with suffering in their life, and we know that he did because so often we, we read about it in his, his epistles to the many different churches, the, the people that he often came in contact with, with what, there was a great suffering, and Paul encountered that, but he knew that what they needed was not just what some man might could share with him, but the truth of God's word. He needed God's presence in their life. He knew that that was the most important thing for them. And so that's where we find ourselves here today. This morning, the message is titled Divine Glory. Divine Glory. We're in Romans chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there if you will. Uh, last week, we finished up on verse 18. I will repeat that verse because I think it just goes so well with the rest of what we're going to be reading. A rather long text this morning, reading through verses 19 through 24. Reading through verses 19 through 24. Now, I want us to remember the context of what Paul is writing about here. You know, he, he, he's, he's writing to, to his kinsmen. He is writing specifically to the, to, the, to the Jews. He wants them to be very clear that what he has recognized is the reality that so many people that are of his heritage, so many Jewish people have rejected the gospel. This is a time in... In, in Christianity's history, when many people are getting saved and there are many people who God is moving in their life, but there has been a rejection of the gospel from, from many of the Jews. And, and, and as Paul is writing the, this letter to, to the Romans, even starting all the way back to chapter 1, the, the one point that he is making above everything else is that, that salvation is in Christ alone. That salvation is in Christ alone. In other words, we are not saved by our heritage. We are not saved by our good works. And over and over, this seems to be the theme of what Paul is hoping to accomplish. And then by the time we get to chapter 9 of Romans, we see Paul sort of pause from everything that he's been talking about. And he begins to shift his conversation to a very specific people group. And we know that he has a passion for them. They are his people. We know that he has a great passion and it's breaking his heart that they are living their lives without Christ Jesus. And in fact, he spends the next three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, talking about this issue. It's that important to him. And as I look at this, I, I think about how Paul would have maybe been tempted to sort of water down the truth of the gospel so that they might believe. That Paul might, you know, show a little more compassion and just try to win them over. But the reality is, is that if Paul were to have done that, then they wouldn't be hearing the gospel at all. And so Paul shares the truth of God's word. He shares the truth of the gospel and he leaves God up to doing the work in the heart of those who would believe. This morning we start off with verse 18, which is where we finished off last week. And so we, we read these words and then we roll into verse 19. He says, so then, talking about God here, he says, so then, he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. And then we see in verse 19, he says, you will say to me, remember, Paul is anticipating a lot of the questions that they're going to have concerning this doctrine, this doctrinal teaching. And so he says to them again, he says, you will say to me then, 
Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded, say to, the, to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What is God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured much with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called out, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says to in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people, and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the numbers of the son of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Now today's text is, a, is really a continuation of, of this topic that he is addressing this issue of God's absolute sovereignty. We, we saw just after a few short verses in, in the first part of chapter 9, Paul immediately dive into this, this study on God's sovereignty, and he begins to teach this. And we, we begin to see that last week, basically, Paul was asking, you know, after he's teaching this truth, he says, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, is God unjust? Is God unfair? I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, you mean, you mean God would be so mean as to, to do these things, to, to, to condemn one and yet save the other? And so Paul says this. He says in verse 14, he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And he says, by no means is there injustice on God's part. And then he answers clearly why this is not unjust when he says, in verse 18, he says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And so Paul is declaring that God is absolute sovereign, even in the issues of salvation. In Roman 9, Paul has portrayed God as absolutely sovereign. He is God, and he does what he wills. In this passage, he continues, though, to build scaffolding or support under this teaching that he is presenting. He continues to bring this to, to help us try to understand the sovereignty of God. And before I go into the rest of what we're going to be talking about here today, I want to, I want to just throw this out as well. One of the things that I believe that, that Paul accomplishes in Romans 9, and I know you may find this sort of hard to believe on the onset, but one of the things I find so fascinating about this is that as the Apostle Paul talks more and more about the sovereignty of God, for me, at least for me personally, God begins to look more glorious as he goes. 
Because there's something about, there's something about recognizing that God is God and I am not that places me on my knees in adoration and praise and worship to a great and holy God. The day I make the mistake of believing that somehow I have some control over the course of this world is the day when I've resorted my attention to self rather than to my Savior. And so here we begin to see that that Paul is attempting to also, as he speaks this truth, as he delivers this message on the sovereignty of God, he is also trying to paint a picture where he displays the glory of God. That is the beauty of God's nature. He puts on display that God is a glorious God. God is a God that is worthy of our worship, not just simply because he he created us and we are somehow puppets on a string. No, that's not our life at all. But the reality is he's pointing pointing to the reality that, that through God's sovereignty, we could see God's greatness and that we would be encouraged because the God that we worship is worthy of all worship. And so here Paul begins to speak of things that that teach us just how beautiful God really is. I jotted down a few things as I was writing through this and reading through this. I jotted down a few of the things that really just stood out to me. I wish I could give you all 463 of them, but that would take us a while. The reality is, is that I have a couple of them I want to give you here today, and I, I think this is huge. If we're going to truly worship God the way God intends for us to worship him, we must understand some very important things that Paul is describing here in this passage. And so the first thing that I wrote down here, and you can write it down for, if you want to, it was huge for me, but it was basically this. We don't have enough divine insight or the right to question God. We don't have enough insight nor the right to question God. Now, what do you think I mean by that? You know, I I wrote that down, and and, and you, you may say, well, how is that encouraging? Well, here's how it's encouraging to me, because there have been so many times in my life where I look at TV, and I, I look at the news of what's happening around the world, and I see all the things that are happening, and I personally just don't have any answers for this. And I look at this, and, and there's, as I look at the chaos that seems to exist in our world, as I look at even the chaos that seems to exist in our own lives, as families are falling apart, as, as people are losing their jobs, as people are losing loved ones and finding themselves in times of grief, many times... The, the, the place that we find ourselves when we see the chaos of this world is a place where we have absolutely nothing that we can say. We come to a place where we just look at the circumstance and we say, I don't know what to offer here. I don't even know what to think about this situation. And here's why, here's why this statement that I wrote we don't have enough of divine insight or the right to question God. It's because in those moments in my life, the one thing that I can hang on to is the reality that God is God and I am not. And though I may not understand, and though I may be a bit confused about 
what's happening. And though I may have this question that seems to permeate in the minds of, of human beings all the time, why did this happen? Though those questions and those concerns may be real in who I am, the reality is my faith takes me to a place where I believe in a holy and righteous God and I am able to declare at least to myself that he is God and I am not. And for that, I am thankful. You see, God's sovereignty to me makes him so beautiful. And I believe that that's one of the things that Paul is trying to present to us when he says in verse 20 and 21, he says this, he says, but who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? He continues, he says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Paul is saying here, he says, listen, we're nothing more than the clay in the potter's hands. God is the creator of all things. God is sovereign over all things. We are the potter. He is, I mean, we are the clay. He is the potter. I remember in high school, I, I remember, you know, I, I was not very studious in high school. I'll just go ahead and tell you. I, uh, it's a miracle I made it through college later in life. But, uh, but in high school, I just wanted to get through, you know. And, and I remember one day I was sitting with my high school counselor, and they said, they said, David, uh, we're looking over your requirements here, and you haven't taken your art class. And I said, that's because I'm not an artist. And they said, oh, no, no, you, you, un you don't understand. You, you have to have this to graduate. You have to have a, an art class. Is there any of these things that you'd like to do, like sculpting? No. Uh, drawing, I can draw a stick man, that's about it. I was playing hangman back then a lot. You know, I could do that one pretty well. But I just didn't, I never really had an art, any artistic ability. She said, well, you got to pick one. You got you to gotta come up with something. And I remember looking, I said, well, what are my choices here? And so she, she sort of laid them out there. And one of them said pottery. And you can believe, can you believe this guy here said, well, I'll take pottery. There was something fascinating about that to me. I don't know why, but... There was something fascinating. I remember going in the classroom, and, and, and in the class, our desk was basically a potter's wheel. You know what I'm talking about, one of those wheels that spins the clay round and round. And I remember we were learning about what it means to, to make pottery, and it was really, honestly, it was fascinating to me. I'm not, I'm not mocking it. It was, it was really fascinating. I knew I had really no artistic ability, but I was really fascinated by, the, by this by this attempt that was about to happen where I could make something out of a lump of clay. And so I remember they started talking about how the, the moisture had to be just right. You had to have just the, amount of, the right amount of water because if it was too dry, it, wouldn't, it would stick to your hands. If it was too wet, it would fall apart as you begin to make the bowl. But I remember, you know, turning on my potter's wheel and that little lump of clay started spinning and it started going around and around and, you know, I wet my hands and I, I was like, well, let's see how this goes. And I remember I just kind of, and, and as I put my hands around the clay, it just turned into this ball instead of a square lump of clay. And, and uh, I remember just thinking, man, this is pretty cool. And then she was teaching us how you push your fingers down in the, in the middle and it kind of starts forming the bowl. And then you start working the sides. And, and because it's spinning, it's just all kind of coming together real nicely. And I remember thinking, man, this is awesome. 
And then I remember thinking, man, I'm getting, I'm pretty good. Maybe I am an artist. And I started really sort of shaping that thing together. And, and I mean, really just kind of, you know, putting, putting some moves on that thing. And I mean, I was getting good at this. And all of a sudden, it just collapsed. It just fell apart. You know, it just, it just the walls caved in and it just turned into nothing more than a lump of clay. I eventually mastered a few crafts and still have them on my shelf today, I think. I think Linnell saves them for whatever reason, but the point I'm making is this, is that that clay is really nothing much more than just clay, and what the potter chooses to do with the clay is, is his own design, his own creation. And Paul uses a very unique analogy here as he talks about the the potter and the clay, and he says, is it even possible that the clay would, would say to the potter anything? Paul is teaching a very important truth for us, and he is helping us to understand that thinking of God in this way as sovereign should push us toward worshiping him. In other words, that we should be, hel- be holding God in a in high regard, in high esteem, as we, as we consider that He is the creator of all things, that He is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that He is God and we are not. He should take us to a place of true and genuine worship. I love what J.I. Packer says. He says, men treat God's sovereignty as a theme for controversy. But in Scripture... It is matter for worship. In other words, as we begin to contemplate the greatness and the control and the power and the righteousness and the perfection of who God is, and we begin to compare Him to ourselves, we find ourselves in a place of bringing praise and adoration to Him. That, my friends, is worship. He is bigger, He is greater we could ever be God's sovereignty for us should be the substance of our worship God's sovereignty for us should be the substance of our worship J.I. Packer he continues he says this he says not until we have become humble and teachable standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty can divine wisdom become ours? We will never truly understand who God is if we don't wrap our minds around the sovereignty of God. He is God, and we are not. It is His divine glory, not our own. The second thing that I wrote down as I was thinking through this is this, is that God's wrath against sin and his power in judgment, these are the things that display his glory. Let me say that again. God's wrath against sin and his power in his judgment over sin, these are the things that display his glory. You know, oftentimes we we go around and we say, man, God is glorious, and you say, well, that's great. Why, why do you see God as glorious? Well, he just, he's just such a wonderful God. He does so many amazing things for us. God 
saved us. And many times as we give testimony of who our God is, of who Jesus is, as we offer up testimony to our friends, we tell all the great marvelous things about God without ever mentioning the wrath of God that he has over sin and disobedience and rebellion. And I know why we do this. We do this because we want our friends to know Jesus. But the reality is, is that when Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he is making a point that is very clear to us, is that the gospel without understanding of God's wrath is not the gospel at all. Because if we don't understand the wrath of God, then what do we know that, what, why do we ever think that we have a need to be saved? Saved from what? The wrath of God is a part of the gospel. Understanding that God pours his wrath out on sin. The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. And so here we begin to see, and Paul is making this very clear, that where we really begin to see the glory of God is when we begin to consider our own salvation And as we think about our salvation, understanding exactly what we have been saved from. Paul says here, the wrath and his power of judgment, those are the things that make him look really glorious. If God had not the power to destroy and the power to save, then why would we hold him in reverence at all? Verse 22 and 23, Paul says this. He says, what if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known, again, this this phrase, make known, means to display who he is, to display his glorious nature, to display his power, to display his sovereignty. In order to make known exactly who he is, the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. If you're here today, my friend, and you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are a vessel of mercy. How many of you today celebrate that reality in your world today? I'm going to have to call out Leslie on this. You know why, don't you? Yeah, you were just, here's what she said. This is what she thinks of God, y'all. How many of you celebrate this today? Jesus, big whoop. You want to try that again, Leslie? I just had to call her out there. How many of you celebrate Jesus today? And see, you don't think I got my eye on you. I got my eye on you. Oh, boy, she's going to kill me after this is all over. (laughs) Oh, man. We need to see the glory of God, amen? We need to see the glorious nature of God. We need to understand exactly what it is that he has accomplished. We gotta understand exactly what Christ Jesus accomplished when his blood was spilled out on the ground for the atonement of our sins to save us from God's wrath. Anything without God's wrath would just be prosperity gospel. Well, you know, if you believe in Jesus, you might drive a BMW. If you believe in Jesus, he'll give you everything you ever need. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God 
sent his only begotten son that he would die on the cross for the atonement of your sin, that you would have eternal life with him. That's the gospel. And God, the glorious God that we worship, he has saved you from that destruction as vessels of mercy. Let me explain it this way, and I know I'm just about out of time. <laughs> Some of you say, no, you are out of time. But I, I just got to, how many of you ever scared of the dark? Any of you as children, how many of you are still scared in the dark? Leslie, you scared of the dark? No, no. She says no. Till a zombie growls. You hear a zombie growl in the dark, you'll be scared of the dark. Yeah, you know, it's, it's something about the dark, isn't it? Just, it's the unknown. It's not being able to see, right? You know, I remember when I was a kid, my, my parents, my chore was taking the garbage out. And I don't know why. But every time they would always wait, they wouldn't say, like I'd be watching Gilligan Island at four o'clock, they wouldn't say take the garbage out then. I'd be doing my homework at five, they wouldn't say take the garbage out then. They would wait till the stroke of midnight when it was a full moon and they would say, oh, the garbage needs to go out. David, take the garbage out and I would have to go 360 miles away from the house to where the garbage can was to put the garbage in the can and it was the scariest moment of my life as a child. There is such thing as zombies. I've seen them. I've run from them. Werewolves, vampires, they're all out there. You know, dark can, you know, here's, what, here's the thing about darkness. You know what, you know what the value of darkness is? You, you can't say nothing the value of darkness is this, is that it makes light look so beautiful. Because <laughs> when you're scared of the dark, what's the first thing that you crave? Light. Without God's wrath, we don't crave his grace. Without God's wrath, we don't crave his salvation. Without God's wrath, we don't completely see the glories of God. We can't see how beautiful it is without that. I love what Paul David Tripp once said. I love this. He, he said this about God. He was speaking of God's sovereignty. And I'll, I'll sort of wrap it up with this. He says, he knows, he understands, he is in control of what appears to be chaos. He is never surprised. He is never confused. He never worries or loses a night's sleep. He never walks off the job to take a rest. He never gets too busy with one thing that he neglects another. And he never plays favorites. We must remind ourselves of his loving control, not because it will immediately make your life make sense, but because it will give you rest and peace in these moments that all of us face at one time or another when life doesn't make sense at all when life doesn't make sense at all I know we've all been there one of the things that makes God so beautiful to me is knowing that when I come to that place when life doesn't make sense at all when I have no more answers to my questions when I can't answer the question why 
when life makes no sense at all, I can always say, God is good. God is sovereign. God is in control. He is glorious. That's why the sovereignty of God looks so beautiful. There are many people in this world that will never believe in the gospel. That's unfortunate. That's sad. There are people that we will encounter every single day of our life that will reject the gospel and thus reject Jesus. There are people who will push back on the gospel and say, I don't believe in those myths. Paul is saying everything that he is saying here because he loves the people that are rejecting the truth. And he knows that he can't save them. That only God can. Jesus was surrounded by a group of Jews in John 10 verses 24 and 26. And they said to him, they said, so it says here, so the Jews gathered around him and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, then tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them and he said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. It is God who gives us ears to hear. It is God and God alone who saves. Not our heritage. Not our good works. Not our belief systems. Not our intelligence. Not our reason. It is God and God alone who saves. We have been saved by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus. This morning, if you have questions concerning salvation, if you have questions concerning Jesus, if you have questions concerning God, in just a moment I'm going to pray, and our pastors are down front, I'm down front. If, if you feel uncomfortable coming during the service, right after the service we'll meet you down front or we'll meet you in the connection room over here that we can sit down and try our best to help you find the answers to what maybe God is doing in your life today. And so we're here for you, and we're here for you because we care about you. We're here for you because we love you. And we're here for you to preach the truth of God's Word because there's nothing else that we could say that would matter more. So we're here to worship together. We're going to worship during this last song, you come and respond in whatever way you want to respond or come and speak to one of our pastors. And then after that, we're going to close out the service with the Lord's Supper. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for all that you are. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. Even in the midst of complex issues like we've studied this, this week and over the last four weeks, God, we still find our minds sometimes wrestling with the truth and trying to understand it but father we know that god you were doing something special in this room today god we know that lord your truth when simply read will never return void
Father, I pray that you would speak deeply into our hearts this morning as we prepare to sing this last song. And Lord, even as we prepare for the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, God, I pray that you would, Lord, in a very real way, just bless us with your presence. May you make yourself known to us that your presence would be very real in our life. And God, let us see you for the greatness that you are. Let us see you for for the glorious God that you are. In this moment, as we sing and as we pray and as we even ask the questions that we may have today, Father, may you put on display your glory that all may see. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.